standing by right now is the one and the only Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. <laughs> After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she'd fallen asleep. Kind of shook her a little bit to, to wake her up, and she did not respond. I don't go down to my go to my grave, testifying or whatever, swearing that Davey was not on drugs. If he was on drugs, the way Brett says, how does I mean, how great does that make Davey? Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? If they would do a movie about your life, who would you want to play your part? <laughs> Uh, well, George Clooney, of course. <laughs> Who else could it be? Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another edition of Primetime with Sean Mooney. I hope you enjoyed this last episode with Jerry Jarrett. And I have to say, you know, I wasn't really surprised that that conversation stayed on the shelf for a while. Now, as you know, our Patreon members select what podcast is going to be featured for the week. And they didn't pick that one. Well, that was up for a couple of weeks. And I understand it because I don't think a lot of people knew about Jerry other than the fact that, of course, he is Jeff Jarrett's dad. But if you listen to the episode, uh, I think you found out just how much of an impact Jerry Jarrett had on professional wrestling over the course of decades. And, uh, you know, especially during the territory uh, years, and, of course, his involvement with the WWF, WWE, really a fascinating guy and, you know, still still involved in professional wrestling. And at this point, it's not about uh, the fortune. I think he's made more than enough money to take care of him, uh, himself for the rest of his life. But it's just because he loves the business and he, he's still in it. And I know that, uh, that uh, he and his son have all these other ventures going on. And I really want to thank Jerry Jarrett for coming on PTSM. Well, we follow up this week by having another great guest. As they say, you know, uh, one of the most polarizing uh, personalities in professional wrestling. Another word that comes up a lot, controversial. Well, to me, that just says very unique. And I'm going to say it right now, man. I love what Corey Graves is doing behind the mic and in front of the camera, too. Because uh, that is a man who knows how to stir it up. Uh, And that's what it's all about, folks. Uh, you're not getting any reaction one way or the other. Uh, they love you or hate you. If you don't get any of that, man, you are dead. And that is certainly not the case with Corey Graves. Uh, not just on TV, but all over social media, man. He knows how to play that game. And we have got a great conversation with Corey coming up. Well, I hope by now that you've heard about all of the changes that we've made with our Patreon membership, our Primetime with Sean Mooney Patreon membership. We've added a bunch of new perks for our Moonies and Legion of Who tiers. And we've also reduced the cost of our Primetimers tier. You know, now just for $4.99, $4.99, you can get the podcast early and ad-free all month long. It's all a matter of what you want because we will give it to you. So check it out, patreon.com slash primetimemoonie. That's patreon.com slash primetimemoonie. Also, guys, you've heard me mention many times at this point, about my new podcast, Upside of 40, uh, for all you men out there over the age of 40 and beyond. And even if uh, you're not 40 yet, this is uh, definitely a podcast for you. 
Uh, we cover it all, you know, sex, your health, uh, fitness, relationships. We even tell you how to grill a perfect steak. Uh, do me a favor, please just take a listen. Take a listen to Upside of 40. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. That's Upside of 40 with Sean Mooney. All righty, let's get back to primetime with Sean Mooney and my conversation with uh, WWE premier announcer Corey Graves. Ding, ding, ding. Folks, it has been one crazy ride for one Matthew Polinski, uh, better known in the world of professional wrestling as Corey Graves. Uh, he spent 15 years in the ring, making his way to the edge of superstardom in the WWE, only to have fate step in and put him on another path, one that has led him to become one of the premier voices of the WWE, who is setting a new standard in sports entertainment. Corey, welcome to primetime. Thanks for coming on. How are you? Thank you for having me, man. I'm I'm great. I feel sort of human. I've been actually in my own home for about 12 hours now for the first time in a month. So I'm uh, I'm I'm reacclimating to real yeah. life. God, uh, you know, and I was going to get into that a little later, but you know, what kind of an insane schedule do you live? I I, I mean, back in the day, you know, we talk about the boys being on the road, but uh, it's it hasn't changed a whole lot. What is your uh, typical month like now? Well, you know, it's hard to actually say any month is typical because it varies yeah. so wildly. Um, right. We create so much content now. We have so many different televised events, and I've got so many other ancillary gigs I'm, I'm working yeah. on. Um, I mean, sometimes I get lucky, and I'll be home for three or four days in a week. Uh, this Jeez. past month has just been absolutely insane. But, uh, I mean, usually I, I fly out Sunday to do TV Monday and Tuesday, and then just depending on the week, sometimes I end up in Orlando to do the voiceovers for our video games or, you know, I have appearances that I have to do or various work at the studio or whatever comes up. I'm kind of still the go-to guy. So uh, my plate's always pretty full. Yeah. And I know you, you've got uh, three kids, right? And uh, I do. They're, get, they're getting yeah, older. So, so trying to, <laughs> yeah, no, trying, trying to juggle that is, is a real yeah. task. Um, wow. You know, I spend as much time with them as, as humanly possible. Um, but you know, sometimes like today, for example, I actually had a, a, about six hours to myself where I just went, I need to go to the mall. I need to go to the store. I need to go buy shampoo, uh, <laughs> just, just normal real life things. And, uh, so, so it's just it's a constant juggling act. So yeah, I've, I've, yeah. I've become pretty, pretty skilled at multitasking these days. Yeah, you know, and and of course it is. It's it's an awesome profession, and you you get uh, exposed to all these tremendous experiences. But I think people forget sometimes uh, that really it, it it consumes your entire life. Uh, they're they're uh, you know everything has to be fit in uh, a it second to, does. to that, right? And it's it's incredibly hard to plan for anything, just because the yeah. schedule changes and varies so regularly. It's a constant juggling act, but you, you take the good with the bad. And I figure, you know, I'm able to provide a, a good life for my children because I'm willing to put myself through the grind. And, and you know, we all complain no matter what you do, no matter what your job is yeah. in the world. You, you yeah. have to find things to complain about because it's it's real life. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I've got one of the coolest jobs on the planet. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, the intro I, when I was talking here, and, you know, you, you've traveled uh, a very interesting road uh, along the way here. Uh, before we get into it, because I do want to talk about your wrestling career. I mean, that was a, a big part of your life. Uh, but sure. I did mention that, you know, you're setting a new standard. And I don't, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to get you to get to be too philosophical here. But, uh, you know, me knowing back in the day, you know, the 80s and the 90s, there was a different uh, type of announced team back then. And we talk about, you know, uh, the days of Vince and Jesse and, and Bobby and Gorilla 
and even with, uh, you know, not even that long ago, we're talking about J.R. and Jerry Lawler, it was pretty old school. It didn't change a whole lot. But seriously, though, uh, you and, and a few of the others, you're, you're changing it. And I don't know if you're aware of it or you came into it thinking, I'm just going to be me and do what I think is right. But are you aware of that you are changing the way it's done? It's not something I ever consciously think about. Um, I, I've been told from time to time that, that it's kind of a different, different look, a different view on things, which isn't something I consciously do. I mean, to your point, I, I did kind of come into this. Well, I didn't expect to, to end up in this role ever. Uh, yeah. So when I, I found myself in it, I kind of just did my best to, to try to make it my own. Um, and, and I grew up watching, you know, Jesse and Gorilla and Bobby Heenan. And that's, that's what I was always a fan of. So I think yeah. inherently I'm going to try to emulate them to an extent or, or influence, you know, there's influence from them. But I think just the, the product's a lot different. Everything's not so much black and white anymore. It's not just mm-hmm. baby faces and heels and good guys and bad guys. There's a lot of gray. There's a lot of just different elements that, that pertain to our business now that when I grew up, grew up watching it, it, you never even thought about it. So I think just as, as the world changes and as, as the way people consume things changes, everything has to evolve. I mean, the business has to evolve. So the announced, you know, perspectives and, and styles kind of have to evolve. Yeah, no, oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we talk about those teams that I, I, I imagine growing up, that wasn't something, I mean, they were there and, and you were probably fans of Bobby and Gorilla, but you weren't linking one day. I want to be like them. You wanted to, you wanted to be Hulk Hogan or the warrior or something like that. But it, there was a, a real distinct style to it. And, it, and, and you mentioned, because you said it's, it's, it's a lot grayer now. We, uh, back then, it was, uh, you know, babies and heels. And uh, it was over the top. A lot of the comments, you know, Bobby would make these outrageous heel comments. And you just went along for the ride. But today, I, I, guess, I guess the best way to describe it is it's more reality-based, in a sense, if that, if that makes sense. I think that's the goal. Ultimately, yeah. um, I think when when the shows are put together and a lot of the stories are written, that's the goal is to kind of put a realistic spin on it. Uh, but that said, sometimes I find it just kind of I'm trying to entertain myself a lot of times, yeah. and a lot of times, you know, the voice of God that comes through my headset will uh, give me a different directive <laughs> because it's just not working. You right. know, it, it, sometimes some, you may have something written out on paper that you think is going to be magic and it just yeah. flops or it doesn't go the way you expect it to. Sometimes it goes better than you thought it was. and You kind of have to be able to change course on the fly. But, um, yeah, it, I think it's it, a lot of it is just kind of kind of rolling with the punches and seeing where it goes. Yeah. And you mentioned the voice of God. I don't know how anybody could even work that way back back in the, <laughs> the day as I was talking about with these teams. I can't even imagine it. If if Vince would have come over headset to Bobby or Gorilla or you know and even and Jesse especially uh, you know even though he sat next to him, that wouldn't have gone so well. Those they just did whatever they thought uh, they were supposed to do or they or felt that was working. But uh, how how tough is it to work in that atmosphere though? Without necessarily, <laughs> I don't want to bury Vince here, but when you have so much going on that's that's beyond the matches. And that's that's the one thing I think that nobody can ever truly appreciate until you've you've been at that desk and and had that headset on, uh, yeah. all the different things that are happening. Yes, we're trying to call the match, and yes, we're talking about what's happening on the show. But then you've got Kevin Dunn in your ear. You've got sometimes mm-hmm. the match producer. Uh, you've got Vince, and that was the most jarring thing for me when I first made the transition from NXT to um, to Monday Night Raw. 
And at first, I, you know, I'd heard the horror stories. Just, just wait, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And he, he was pretty easy on me when I first got called up. And I, um, I didn't, didn't really feel the wrath ever. But that's not to say to this point I haven't felt it quite a few times. And no matter what, <laughs> no matter what's happening or where you yeah. think you're going, it just yeah. stops you dead in your tracks. And he's got this habit of chiming in when I'm on camera. Oh, and yeah, I don't great. know if he does it intentionally or if yeah. it's just because he's looking at the screen and he sees me and he's now all of a sudden paying attention to what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, I remember the first time he did it, the first time he ever reprimanded me for anything, I was on camera. Oh, and I'm, you know, it's different when you're not on camera. You can kind of just right. play it naturally and, and acknowledge it. But when you're staring at the light and all of a sudden Vince is yelling at you in your ear, it's, it's like really hard to keep your composure and keep your train of thought. And I'm pretty yeah. sure when it happened, I just locked up in the middle of a sentence because it was like, oh, no, I'm dead. What's yeah. the, like, what's happening? It just, it just trumps everything that's going on in the world. But um, yeah, to, to, I think I, I've been doing it long enough now with him that he's comfortable with me and I think I've sort of earned his trust and a lot of times he gives me plenty of rope to to kind of work with and do my own thing um I, I think he gets that I generally understand the story even if I don't know where we're going with it which I try yeah. not to know mm-hmm. um so I, I think I've earned his trust to to a point but that doesn't mean there aren't still moments where I'll say something and he'll you know I, I can't necessarily repeat what he says to me all the time because yeah. <laughs> um but it, it's, it's definitely experience. It was definitely hard to get used to, but now I think I'm as used to it as I will ever get. Yeah, I, I guess that's the best way to put it. And, and, you know, it's not different in a sense. I mean, there always been selling stuff. I mean, Superstars and Challenge, that's basically what those shows were. It was a commercial right. for a half an hour, and they put Mooney on there, and I would tell everybody where to go to see these events. But it wasn't, you know, blatantly during the match that you had all of these different promotions to put in there and so yet alone try and call the action you know in between uh, you know the whatever the the, the latest promotion is it, it's got to be I, mean, I don't even know how you can keep anything straight you don't even know what you just saw or where was i because you got a promo you got to throw in there and work in some kind of transition to make it so it's not just out of nowhere it's incredibly hard and that's why yeah. like, i will always give michael cole the utmost credit because that guy is just unflappable. And yeah. sometimes you can look at what we have to do and there'll be a sponsor read and then throw to this package and then out of the package. And then the match is somehow still going on. And there's just all this insanity happening and he doesn't miss a beat. And if uh-huh. he does, he beats himself up over it. But I, I think that really helps me get comfortable to where, you know, uh, for, for example, this past Monday, Cole took a drink of his water during a match and he, he it went down the wrong pipe and he's holding down his cough button and the poor guy was like choking to death uh. right as a sponsor zig reed was coming up and i knew where we were going so i just grabbed the card and got right in there and, it, and it, he and i developed a pretty cool chemistry and that's just you know working i don't want to say his style but that's that's what i've grown accustomed to is how you know how he does things because that's basically where i've learned and um so i i'm getting a little more comfortable and and even, I mean, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he's told me as much that I'm one of the first color guys that he's ever worked with, if not the first, that can do traffic, mm-hmm. um, which isn't yeah. something, you know, that's something I had to learn on, on the fly or, you know, with, through experience. But in traffic, for those that are listening that don't necessarily understand, it's the, the throwing to a package and then going to a sponsor read. I, I'm comfortable and at least capable doing those things now. Whereas he says, you know, even King, King would, be out there and call the match and make his jokes 
But if you needed King to throw to a commercial or come back or reset, King had no idea what that was about. The same thing with yeah. Bradshaw. Yeah. Um, just because that was that was something they never really had to learn. And yeah. I, I kind of try to cover all the bases as much as I can. So yeah, you'd make a good news anchor. I could, I, I can tell you. I, because, man, I mean, I people don't like something like the, the news. Yeah. Something, yeah. something that, that is you know set in stone and not constantly changing. My God, that sounds like a vacation. Uh, yeah, no kidding. But uh, if people don't realize, and of course, they, okay, they they know it's live, but they don't realize what that means. It's not like if you don't get something out right, you don't say, okay, let's try that again. I mean, you get, right. you get one shot at this and you have to find ways to keep going no matter what happens. You, you know, as yep. Vince always says, you know, nothing can go wrong. Well, because it can't, because you don't have another shot at it. Whatever goes out there is there. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and you know, I want to talk. Of doing, I was say, that's the beauty of doing TV as much as we can. Yeah. If God forbid something does go wrong, either you just, you know, the next segment or the next hour or the next week, you just fix it. <laughs> Yeah. And I want to talk more about, uh, you know, this part of your life now, which is, uh, you know, the, a big part of it and what you've, you've become in the world of professional wrestling. But, you know, I want to back it up because a lot of people always wonder, you know, where you came from, where, you know, when I have people on and what led them to professional wrestling, um, was, you know, were you an athlete as a young kid? I mean, what was it like? And I, you know, I, did you grow up in Pittsburgh or a suburb around there? What was, yeah, what was your uh, life like? Monroeville, which is it is just outside, just east of, of Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, I you know I claim Pittsburgh, but the only thing I ever wanted to be, man, from the, as long as I can remember, probably five six years old, I wanted to be a wrestler. I wanted really? to be Hulk Hogan or the Ultimate Warrior. That was kind of the only dream that was ever a constant. And it, you know, every kid has big dreams. Everyone wants to play in the major leagues or, or be a you know pro athlete or a movie star or whatever. And that was just the one thing that I. I never really had any aspirations to do anything else. I mean, obviously as I got older, I started looking toward different career paths because that seemed kind of far fetched, but I, I yeah. just kind of never, never lost that dream. And, and so, I mean, were you, uh, did you do amateur? Did you wrestle in, you know, I, in school? I, wrestled, yeah, I, mean, I, read, you? I did some amateur wrestling in school. Um, I wasn't particularly great at it. I was a yeah. uh, baseball player. That was kind of my, my passion and, and what I pursued, you know, through, uh, up until high school. And it was actually my freshman year of high school. I started going to pro wrestling school. Um, really? so that kind of, yeah, my, my dad is the reason that I'm you know, a wrestling fan. He was a, still is to this day, a massive wrestling fan. And yeah. I, so I kind of grew up and it was always on TV and then we'd always go to the live events and everything was wrestling. And, um, he, I started, I, <laughs> It was my, like I said, my freshman year of high school, and I think I was going through the same crisis that every, you know, fourteen-year-old kid goes through, where it's like, what are you going to do with your life? In high <laughs> right. school now, I figure out a plan. Yeah, yeah, it was the midlife crisis at fourteen. <laughs> and um, <laughs> got to know now. So, right, so I decided that uh, at that moment, the, the most important thing in my life was that I got my tongue pierced. And I don't okay. know to this day how that translated to anything that would solve my problems, but I was pretty sure that would help. Okay. And my dad said, there's no way in hell you're getting your tongue pierced. <laughs> and I remember having this, this tearful conversation. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was sitting on his bed in his bedroom. He's standing in the doorway. And he's like, do something creative. Do, you know, get a hobby. Go join mm -hmm. a band. And I still have no musical talent or anything, but he's just literally throwing out ideas. He goes, go, you know, go learn to be a boxer. Go learn to be a pro wrestler. 
and like I stopped the, the tears dried up instantly and I went, okay. Yeah. And, and he since admitted that to me that during that conversation, he had absolutely no idea how the hell to facilitate that. Yeah. <laughs> he was, he, he just was didn't want your tongue to, pierced. Exactly. He was just trying to throw out options just to get my mind off the tongue piercing thing. Yeah. Didn't actually expect me to go, Oh yeah, that's what I'm going to do. So luckily he, he was, uh, he was a, a fire chief uh, in, outside of Pittsburgh and yeah. he had done some fundraisers with a local wrestling company. So he had friends, you know, with in the, in the independent scene there, uh, namely the promoter. And he made a few calls and, they they bent the rules a little bit because I mean I was 14 years old and I really had no business near or in a wrestling ring, yeah. but uh, they made it happen. So that was how my training started. And so I mean, do you think your dad thought hey, he'll go a few times and get this thing out of his head, and then we can go back to life and he won't have his uh, a, you know a ring through his his tongue? Yes, honestly, I think that's yeah. probably exactly what he was thinking. Yeah. Um, and, and as much as I have modified my body to this day and tattooed. Yeah everywhere that I possibly could, I have never pierced my tongue. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, he, overall, he, he, he won, in a sense. <laughs> he did. He did. That's right. Uh, but you did. I mean, that's become a part, like with the tats and everything. And by the way, uh, you, you're partly responsible. My son has a sleeve. And, uh, oh. uh, yeah. And he's like, Corey's got one. I'm like, oh, okay, dude. I don't know what to, what to say to that. So, <laughs> and he's, just just he, don't, let him, don't let him go too far. Don't let him get his hands and his neck done. I, yeah. I think I've defied I've defied all the odds in, in succeeding in any aspect of professional life having my throat and hands tattooed. But that was well, I, I was told sure him, was gonna be a wrestler. Yeah, and I said he I said, Yeah, you do that, dude. Either you're gonna work in an ink shop or you're going to uh, have to have your uh, your own business or something where no one can tell you what you can do. So right, there's there's right. your two choices. I worked, but I, I worked in a tattoo shop for, for about seven or eight years. I was actually a, a body piercer and yeah. the, the term in the industry for hand and neck tattoos were job stoppers. Yeah, because that was uh, yeah. You really did. You bring in a counselor that. before they did that, or were you the counselor and said, I, "I, I love this tattoo, but you ought to think about this before you." Yeah, <laughs> that was that was usually yeah. The artist would go, "Are you sure you want to do this?" And yeah, you'd yeah. be amazed at how many people were talked out of it pretty quickly. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, were you an artist? Did you ever do tats, or were you always just did no, the piercing? Because no, I know you're licensed, I, I, right, uh, to do that. I, I, well, I was, I was getting, I had been getting tattooed by a guy and we became friendly and he knew how to pierce, mm -hmm. uh, do like all the body piercings, but he was kind of squeamish and he didn't like doing it, but he felt like he was losing a lot of business at his yeah. shop because he only did tattoos, no piercings. And this was right at the piercing boom where every 15 year old girl in America had to have their belly button pierced. And yeah. it was kind of the, the, the hot thing at the time. And so he actually taught me how to pierce and I did an apprenticeship at his shop where I'd spend all day there. I'd, you know, set up his tattoo station and clean up and clean the shop and mop the floor and all that. And he taught me how to pierce. And, uh, that's actually what I did for, for about seven years, uh, oh, as I was wrestling. I was, it was my, that was how I supported my wrestling habit. Yeah. And, uh, you didn't get the, the tongue piercing, but you did them. So, right. That's right. <laughs> I think maybe subconsciously it, it solved that need. Uh, that's right. But so uh, tell me about that, that road though, with the, uh, independence. I mean, when did you start performing? I guess you'd call it professionally. I think so. My first match, my first, and I, I guess it could be considered professional because I was paid $5 for it. All right. Um, that counts. I had to drive in, I had to drive to West Virginia mm. and I believe I was 15 years old, 15 or 16. Uh -huh. I, it's, a billion years ago, but yeah. uh, West Virginia doesn't have 
uh, an athletic commission or any sort of laws regarding pro wrestling. So kind of anything goes there. And so I got booked through a friend and I went down there and I had a match and, um, I don't think I had a match after that for maybe two more years. Uh, so basically I would just, I would show up in a train a couple days a week. There was an old, um, it, it wasn't completely abandoned, but an old shopping mall outside of Pittsburgh. And there was a storefront and in the back of the store in what would have been like a storage area, they actually had like a little arena set up mm-hmm. um, with, with chairs and a ring. And I would go there a couple days a week and there was no heat, no air conditioning. Uh, so the summer and winter was pretty miserable. But we would go there and, and train, and um, I didn't really start doing much beyond that until I obviously I turned 18. And then it, the the best, I mean, outside of this business, the best thing that I can relate it to is like being in a band. You just take take bookings wherever you yeah. can. I mean, this is the yeah. day where uh, you know we, there were still VHS tapes, so I would be you know dubbing tapes of what little footage I had, mailing them to people, uh, and just seeing if I could get you know my foot in any door. And uh, through through enough persistence and uh, willingness to drive countless hours for no money, I started yeah. getting booked. <laughs> yeah, well, and and uh, I, I imagine a number of uh, independents, uh, Funkin Conservatory, and uh, what uh, Zero One. Uh, what uh, at what point did you really feel okay? I can do this. This might actually become a a career for me. Uh, you know, I, I don't. Th- I, I remember at the time. My goal was I, I just want to live as a pro wrestler. I just want to be able to make a living from this. Uh-huh. And now, mind you, I'm working in a tattoo shop, not making a ton of money. I didn't really have any bills or expenses or anything. Um, I just wanted to be to be busy. And I remember getting to the point where, like, oh, I can I can get a hundred bucks for a show. Never mind, it cost me two hundred in gas to get there. Yeah, right to get. But, <laughs> you know, I, I just wanted. I was like, wait a minute, I'm I'm being paid to do I'm this. Getting paid. I love, and I thought that yeah. was really really cool. Oh. And honestly, I, I couldn't tell you a point in time uh, where where I felt like it was, you know, within within reach. Um, I, my first, I, I'd say the, the big break that I had um, was I got an opportunity to go over to England, and that's kind of really what what kind of propelled me to the next level because I was working with a lot of guys that were established, you know, whether they be former WWE guys or uh, TNA at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was getting to, to rub elbows with a lot of those guys and I was learning and, and it's, you know, it's all in who, you know, this guy can, can get you booked here. This guy can put you in touch with so-and-so or vouch for you. And that's really when it started to, to take off as far as me getting booked regularly. And especially in the, in the Pittsburgh, or even like the Northeast area, I, you know, I've done some, some work in like the Philly area, which is kind of a hotbed at the time. Yeah. Uh, but I, I was able to say, Hey, I'm an international star now. I go to England. Yeah, right. I, hey, I yeah. booked in Japan. Worldwide. <laughs> you know, and, and at that level, anything yeah. like that, that, that adds value. Right, and, yeah. And, and this was this was even before, you know, it, the internet is like it is now where there's all the, every every company has a streaming site. You can watch everything. This was still kind of in the days where, you know, there, there, message boards were kind of important. Right. Um, and, and, you know, word of mouth and, and sending tapes and, and DVDs and whatnot to just try to get somebody to say, hey, you know what? I heard about you or I, I read online that you had a good match. Let's, let's give you a look. And, um, it was actually over in England that I met Tommy dreamer mm-hmm. who at the time was, uh, he was working in talent relations for WWE. And, and what year was he, this? Uh, what, what year? I'm, I'm terrible with dates. It had to be, man. 
06, 07 maybe. Right. I'm just, I'm guessing. I, I, I'm absolutely the worst at dates. Um, but it was in well, that, you do in what that you did some dark matches then. I mean, he got you in to yeah, do some. So that's, yeah. that's what happened. He, he, yeah. I, we were sitting in a hotel and we're just chatting and he goes, Hey, you know, you ever, you ever want to work for WWE? And I said, yeah, man, that, that's the goal, but I don't even know where to begin. Mm-hmm. I was still trying to get experience and, and build a name for myself on the independence. And he gave me his number and I called him a few weeks later and he booked me as an extra for WWE. And I drove, it was the day after WrestleMania that was in Chicago. I remember if that was 22 or 23, but whatever it was, that was the first WrestleMania in my life that I recall missing because I was driving to go to Monday night raw from Pittsburgh. It was like an eight hour drive. And uh, I got there and I don't think I did anything at that point, but at the time the extras were actually, they'd have a handful of us and they usually use us for something, whether it be a a squash match or or something along those lines. And yeah, I started getting booked. I worked a couple darks. I worked with Mark Henry. I worked with Val Venus. Um, CM Punk and I teamed up and, and worked the, uh, the Shane twins, the, uh, the Gemini mm-hmm. in a tag match. One day. And I don't remember the time frame of all this, but it was all within a, a year or two period. And uh, then the ball was kind of rolling and, and, you know, I was on the radar and I was getting booked regularly as an extra and I was driving, you know, anywhere and everywhere I could. And, uh, I, I got sent to OVW for a week for a tryout that I thought was pretty cool. And I thought everything worked, worked really well. Uh-huh. And, uh, not just nothing came of it. You know, I'd call uh-huh. the office and say, Hey, you know, any news for me? They're like, no, no, but, but you're booked in Buffalo next week. Like, okay. And I just kind of kept chasing the carrot, so to speak. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people don't realize either, uh, Corey, that, uh, you know, if people really do look at your career, they, they, may go back to, you know, F, uh, FCW, which they, you know, well, that's where he got in and NXT. And then I realized all those years before that, I mean, we're talking 10 years, right? I mean, more than that. Oh, yeah. Before yeah, well, a, a, that you're paying your dues and, and nobody even knows that really. Right. It takes the it, time to look crazy. into it. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's, it got to the point where, I mean, I had done anything and everything I thought I could do. I mean, I had a trial uh, even at FCW. After the OVW thing didn't work out, um, they sent me back to FCW, and I had the same thing. It, it tryouts seemed to go pretty well. I got a lot of great feedback. Call the office, and they're like, oh, we don't have anything for you yet. Go here or do this. And right around that time, my, my first kid was born, my son. Mm-hmm. And I, I had been working over in, uh, in Europe doing a lot of work with a company, Rikishi, kind of was in charge of, called NWE. And I was making, you know, okay money over there. I'd do a tour every six weeks or so and come back and at least, you know, be able to pay my bills and my rent, which was cool. And then my, my son was born and it came time to like grow up really fast. And I, all of a sudden working in a tattoo shop and wrestling on weekends, wasn't necessarily the stability that, you know, I needed for my family. So I took a job at 911 as a dispatcher. Wow. And yeah. And so I was doing that and I, I had all but kind of given up. I was about 20, 26 ish, maybe 25, 26. Yeah. And, but I, by that point I'd been in the business half my life. basically. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm like, man, I guess maybe it's just not going to happen. You know, I Uh had had fun. I I had a lot of cool experiences. Let's kind of give it up. And, um, I, I actually dropped a bunch of weight 
I had grown my hair out. Just kind of, I was about as normal as I've ever looked by you know yeah. societal standards because <laughs> I was working a, a regular job at 911. Yeah. And my days off were Monday and Tuesday. And Raw and SmackDown were coming to, I believe, Pittsburgh and Cleveland. So I called the office and I went, hey, do you guys need any extras? Because I wanted the payday. <laughs> I was like, hey, can't hurt to yeah. have a couple extra hundred bucks. You sure. Know, a new, new baby and whatnot. And I walked in there that day, and, and the guy that was in charge of talent relations at the time was uh, his name was Ty Bailey. He came up to me and he said, "Hey, Matt, you look great. You know, what have you been up to?" I said, "Yeah, I got a, I got a real job, got a real life. Uh, just kind of here. <laughs> I didn't tell him I was just here for the Dad, money. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that was the case. And I, I, probably two weeks later, he called me out of the blue on a Wednesday afternoon. I was sitting yeah. eating eating dinner with my family, and uh, he said, "Hey, we're going to give you a job." <laughs> And wow. the rest is history. Yeah, you know, and before we move on to that, I mean, I, I can't let this go by that you were a nine one one dispatcher. Uh, there must be some uh, outstanding calls that you remember vividly uh, of you actually saving oh, people's goodness. lives. And <laughs> there, there are probably too many to actually sift through because every day was just as insane as the last. Um, we, I, I, there's this one woman I'll never forget. She would call pretty regularly. And you'd be shocked at the amount of just regulars that call 911. Yeah. And a lot of them were yeah. just, you know, people that were slowly losing their mind or just lonely. And wanted to yeah, they wanted to talk to somebody. Yeah. And, and this woman called and I'd, I'd known who she was and I said, 911, you know, what's your emergency? And this old woman goes, I need you to send the police. The goddamn clowns are back. <laughs> <laughs> And I remember, okay. I don't even know what to do. Like you're supposed to stay calm and, and you know, level headed. Yeah. And my brain about leaked out of my ears. I'm going, what does this even mean? The clowns are yeah. back. And I went to find out after the fact, a lot of the guys I worked with knew, knew I knew her by name, but, um, yeah. And I, I got some really cool stuff. You know, I, I always liked working the police channels, um, and you know, getting in it, be a pursuit. And it, it was kind of weird because it almost felt like you were playing battleship really? because all you see are the, the, the numbers and the locations on your, on your computer screen. Mm. And, but then you're, you're dealing with the radio transmissions for the cops. So they're calling in and you're trying to, to log all the information. So you know where everybody's at and everybody's accounted for, and you're trying to give them information and other people are calling in. And it, it's, mm -hmm. it was, it, it would get pretty intense at times, yeah. but um, that was always, that was always kind of thrilling for me. But you know, sadly it wasn't the most exciting job in the world. It would have, you'd have good nights and bad nights. Yeah, but see here, Corey, now this is another example of your training because, uh, I, you know folks, what? if you I, think I, it's I, tough doing traffic uh, during a raw, look what he's doing. He's saving lives on 911. That's You know, <laughs> as I was just telling you this, I, I, I kind of clicked it. I've never looked at it that way. I never thought about uh -huh. it that way. But I guess if I can listen to, to cops and callers screaming in my headset while I'm trying to do all these different things. The goddamn clowns are back. Me is, yeah, <laughs> I guess having Vince in my ear isn't so bad. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But uh, it, it's 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 funny how life takes these twists. You've certainly had a number of them, and I, I well, you and I could have a great conversation about my career. But we're talking about what you what you've traveled, and it, it really is amazing because, uh, you know, you get this opportunity, and they're going to give you a job, and then this this uh, this thing FCW. Now it wasn't something that was a new concept. They had Florida Championship Wrestling. But what they decided to do with it was, I thought, brilliant. And it, it, that they really, you know, you mentioned OVW and everything, but it was really one of these places where they 
uh, groomed people to to actually be able to go up and slide right into these shows. And it wasn't just right. and, and, learning the ring. It was also uh, camera, learning how to ca- uh, camera angles, knowing how to per- perform in the ring, where to face, and then also performing. I mean, they had like drama classes. So uh, talk about that opportunity. And, and did you know what it was about before you became a part of it? Well, I, I had some friends that had gone through developmental, through the developmental system, what it was at the time um, in OVW. And again, I, I had a tryout down there. So I kind of had an idea of what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, FCW by that point was kind of the next step in the evolution. Whereas as, as you said, they trained a lot more than just how to do moves and how to wrestle and, and how to yeah. work a hard camera. Uh, right. the, the most invaluable things that I, I would say I learned in, in my time in FCW, even in the NXT was a time we got to spend with Dusty Rhodes yeah. because every, every Wednesday we would have promo class and there were basically no rules, but the whole, the whole crew would sit there. And everybody would go up and cut a promo. You had, you know, a minute, two minutes, depending on what you were doing. And you could be whoever you wanted or do whatever you wanted or try things. And, yeah. and Dusty would critique you. And sometimes there'd be other guests. And Dr. Tom Pritchard was there at the time. Um, and, and they would say, I really like that. Work on that or develop that or don't yeah. ever do that again. Or try, you know what I mean? And, and you really kind of got to, to cut your teeth and, and just sort of explore the performance side of things, which to me, having been all, you know, on the independence for all those years, I thought it was always about having a good match. Yeah. And that was really eye opening to me to get there and realize if you can have a good match, that's awesome. But that's right. actually not the most important thing in this business. Yeah. Rings are so, littered with uh, guys who have had good matches. <laughs> right. 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 There, there's a million of them. Yeah. So it was, um, in the FCW time, though, man, I, I look back at that now f- very fondly. At the time, it was yeah. it was rough. You know, I, I'd moved. I'd had uh, just had my daughter by that point when I got signed, my my second yeah. kid, and uprooted everything from Pittsburgh. Quit my nine one one job and moved to FCW, making six hundred bucks a week. Wow! And you know, raising two children and supporting a family on six hundred dollars a week, not exactly comfortable. No, um, and no guarantees. No. And that's all it was. It was, it was for a chance. Chance. It was a chance that you could make it out. And and even in those days, the FCW system was so detached from what NXT is now. I mean, Triple H has has kind of overhauled the entire process and there's a great synergy between NXT and WWE now where, you know, they they work together and there's a lot of co-mingling and and it's, it's a very fluid system. But back Mm -hmm. in the FCW days, I always use the analogy, uh, like in the movie, toy story where all those little green aliens are in the claw machine yeah and they're all jam-packed and then every once in a while the claw would drop down and just pick one and you didn't know where they were going but you thought it was just to a better place because all of a sudden <laughs> someone that you were in, in the ring with yesterday uh, is now on monday night raw but right. until that happened you had no idea we were really we redheaded stepchildren of the, yeah. of the wrestling business and yeah. i remember like my first shows with fcw and we were we were doing shows in front of 25 30 40 people regularly yeah, and I remember going, man. I just wrestled in front of ten thousand in Spain last month. So what the hell is this? And, right. and what's really crazy is when you look at the talent that I came up with. My cl- my class, if you want to call it that, was all three guys in the Shield: Seth Roman and Dean, Bray Wyatt, Cesaro, uh, Sami Zayn had just got there. I mean, a who's wow. who that populates the yeah. roster now. We were all in the same boat. Hey, maybe one of us will get to TV one day. <laughs> Well, and, and then, you know, then the NXT thing came along and, and everything really 
skipped about 10 steps and it became, uh, you know, it felt real finally. Then it was like, oh, wait a minute. This is what I expected with WWE. Yeah, this is a machine now. I'm part of the machine. But um, we still laugh and joke about it. To the, we, you know, the stories are the best now. We, we'll sit and laugh and joke about the FCW and some of the characters we used to know. And, uh, you know, having gotten to this point, it's fun to look back at those times now. But at the time, it was uh, less than less than wonderful. Yeah, but you know, but it really was a great place. I had an opportunity to go down there a couple of times and see it. And, and I remember when I went down there, uh, Seamus was there. But I I got to sit in on one of those classes that uh, what Dusty was doing, and it was sure, it was that, like an improv it was like an improv class. Too, yeah. yeah, yeah, it basically was. And, and a lot of times yeah. Dusty would he'd come up with a theme. He'd go, yeah. "All right, this today we're doing this. Yeah, go go for it, you know." And uh, yeah, it, it it seems so so prehistoric now, seeing what a well oiled right. machine NXT is in the performance center. But you know, I, I still think it was invaluable to so many. As I said, obviously there were plenty of success stories that, that started there that, you know, are, are still on the roster today. Yeah. And, and in some cases, I mean, the, in a case that, you know, you said like the ugly uh, stepchildren, that they didn't really know what to do with these guys. They probably depended on, you know, Chris and his input and, and Dusty, where, you know, who do you think we should get, take a look at? But in a way, it was uh, great because you were able to try all these things. You didn't have people looking over, your shoulders every second you were able to be uh, you know really free and i remember I, it was a very small warehouse i mean and like you said they'd have maybe 40 or 50 people in there and you had announcers i think byron was down there at the time and uh and and creating this situation of what you would deal with on a, on a grander scale of course but it was a great place uh, for you guys to develop and like you said look at the who's who the guys that came out of there uh, in some ways, you know, then when it became NXT and I, and I want to talk about that, but for what it was that I think you were blessed to be there at, at that time I, because I you probably became a, a great performer, even better. Sure. And, and, and there, there weren't as many, uh, I hate to say rules, but you know, rules yeah. as far as, you know, what, what you have to do in this thing. Now, now NXT is such a well-oiled machine that yeah. it's kind of, you get in where you fit in and just kind of keep rolling through it. Whereas yeah. that, that we, we were kind of the, the, the bunch of misfits trying to figure out our purpose in life. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think I think we all kind of helped each other. Yeah, and I think you've, you've talked about uh, what you call it, the street team or something where you guys, oh, were, yes. they literally made you go out into the community for like outreach. Oh, yes. <laughs> that, that, we still joke. Seth Rollins and I, yeah. that's our, our constant yeah. joke with each other is street team because it was miserable. Here you are thinking the worst was when you would be on the posters and you're rolling through a small town in the middle of Florida that, you know, like a one stoplight town and you're out there with a staple gun, stapling posters <laughs> of yourself to the phone yeah. poles, trying yeah. to avoid the police because most of the towns had ordinances against that. And <laughs> also you could, you just, you could have somebody to wrestle in front of yeah. and you know, you're, it, it's, August in Florida, so it's 110 degrees outside, and you're sweating. And what, somebody was driving, and someone's in the back seat with the posters jumping out, and it was like this guerrilla marketing thing. And yeah. uh, I, I always joke. I said, I think that's the difference between our our crew and anybody that comes out of the, the performance center now is that they should have to do street team at least once in their life. <laughs> really, well, look at the appreciation really you, you have, though. I mean, look at the yeah. appreciation you have for it because you know. Uh, when do they really get that opportunity today to do something? I don't know how it works with NXT when they come in now, but 
you know, uh, I'm sure they all came up in independence and they had, you know, these small crowds, but at the same time you, you, you get to a level, okay, it's the WWE, but they're still making you appreciate it. Or maybe they're saving a few bucks, I don't know. but, but really, you know what I'm saying though, to, to you still to right. this day, don't forget it. And those are lessons that have, are now ingrained in you in the way that you conduct yourself. It, it completely is. And, and I get it. The yeah. business has changed. And I mean, I, I would dare say, probably half the people in the performance center. I, I don't even know them now, but I would say maybe yeah. half of them there all came just from different athletic backgrounds. They didn't right. want to be wrestlers. And that's not, I don't mean that as a knock or, or anything against them, but that wasn't something that they, that passion wasn't ingrained in them. Not that it mm-hmm. can't be learned, but it, it, it's kind of just a different ball game where yeah. it, people come in there and they go, Oh well, yeah, I, I came from the NFL and I'm in the performance center now. And now I'll I'm give it a shot. Yeah. That's how it's yeah. supposed to be. Yeah. And, and so, but I, I definitely think there's, there's definitely, I don't want to say, I don't think resentment's the right word, but there's a little a bit of a chip on the shoulder of all of us that went through that to kind of go, hey, you guys got it so good, you have no idea. Yeah. So when did you see it start to change? Because it was more than just a name, NXT. Uh, when did you really start to see, uh, you know, this really uh, having an impact and, uh, you know, you guys becoming, uh, you know, uh, very valuable roster players? Well, it was right around the time, um, it was actually, it was shortly before we launched the WWE network. Uh, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know, I think it was on Hulu, maybe we had NXT yeah. TV and that was the first time that we had seen just ourselves look on, on anything that resembled WWE programming because mm-hmm. FCW had TV that was, you know, somebody with a handheld camera and, and 20 bucks in their pocket that made some sort of TV show, yeah. uh, so when, when the NXT show first launched and we had the slick graphics and the music and, and we did the ID shoots with the lighting and everything, that was when everybody kind of started to go, okay, this is real. And even though it was, it was the, the very, very early goings, that kind of galvanized everybody as a team because it went, okay, we've all been through hell together at FCW. And I hate to say hell, but you know, the worst it can be at FCW. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we're all seeing the fruits of our labor. And it kind of drove everybody to step up their game. And, and we still had, you know, everything was still happening with Dusty and the promo class and developing characters. None of that changed, but we now had sort of an, a, a goal to mm-hmm. be on the NXT TV show. And that was when we started, and then we started doing the stuff at Full Sail University. And you started seeing faces that you'd heard of or you, you thought existed, but they would actually come down. You know, Triple H would come to all the TV tapings and um, just producers and, and all these different people that, worked on the main roster show were now around and it became tangible. I think that was when it became real to everybody that this isn't just this pipe dream that we're not just going to be, you know, making 600 bucks a week for the rest of our lives. We could actually be WWE. And And, that's, that's when I remember feeling everything was real. Yeah. And, uh, why do you think there was that reaction? Because the people that were watching this were, you know, of course, WWE fans, and there—I I don't want to say it was a rebellion or something—but but there was definitely a different reception to that. That it was—it was a different product. It was—I uh, hate to borrow it, but it was, you know, more raw than than what they had become used to seeing. What what do you think it was that, uh, you know, had that that reaction to these fans? Because that's what you know—that's how it works. It's it's to the, the management there, it's okay. Where are we getting the pop? Where is it? Where's it coming from? They don't just say we're going to, it seems like when they try and over promote something, it's the worst thing they can do. So what do you think right. it was? And I, 
I, I think that's exactly what it was, was we were still, it, it, we were still the, the, the best kept secret. Yeah. And so the fans started kind of getting rumblings about this. All right, you check out this NXT stuff. There's some pretty good guys. And of course, obviously the hardcores knew who you know Tyler Black was from yeah. Ring of Honor and, and, and John Moxley and all those guys that were the big time independent names. But there, like, and, and FCW existed, but nobody had anywhere to watch it. And from our perspective, it was like this is our time to shine across the board. It was maybe the most unified, united. I've ever seen a, a, a locker room and sort of a group of, of anybody in this business because we were all working toward a common goal. And it was like, we had, we had Hunter and Dusty leading the charge and, and everyone was behind it a, a thousand percent. And it was like, all right, you know what? You're not, you're not going to, you don't have to give us the ball anymore. We got our own ball and we're going to show you how to play. Yeah. And, and there was obviously, you know, there's a lot of freedom to, to even NXT TV. We were still learning. We were learning about hitting time cues and, and, different things that we'd never really been exposed to. Uh, but, but we had something that was ours. And at that point, I think the focus not, no longer even became, Hey, we're going to go to raw and SmackDown. It was, we're making NXT. Like this, <laughs> yeah, is, ours. this is ours. Wow. And all the way up through like those first, you know, takeover and arrival and all that. When that first started happening, I think it was so organic because it was real to us as yeah. much as it was to the fans. The fans were excited because they had something different. It wasn't Raw and SmackDown, and they weren't seeing the same faces week after week after week. And it was still good. It was good wrestling. It was good storylines. It was interesting characters, new characters that you've never seen before. And so the fans kind of latched onto it, and we were working just as hard as they wanted to watch it because we, we didn't want to, you know, this, this was our baby. It was, it was truly, you know, like, a, like an organic grassroots kind of feeling that we, we made this thing and we're not going to let it fail. And I think the passion from the fans and the passion from the, the talent kind of met in the middle and created this perfect storm. Yeah. And it must've been a great time. I mean, here, here you'd worked all this uh, time and now it was starting to pay off. Uh, exactly. Unfortunately, it was short lived, but it must've been a great time for you at that point in your career. It, it was so much fun. And, and I remember, yeah. I mean, from a personal level, like, I started getting to go and a lot of the guys would start getting to do the, the live event tours with the main roster. And then it yeah. was like, Oh my God, here we, this is, we're actually part of this now. Mm -hmm. And you'd go up there and, and some of the guys that were on the main roster talking about a match that you had or, or something that they saw you do on TV. And it was like, Oh my God, it just, everything became real as opposed to just a dream or, or a goal. It was like, wow, we are in this. And mm -hmm. I, I, that to, to me, I mean, as many cool things as I've done, I don't think that that energy could ever be replicated, at least from my perspective of, of anything professionally in life. That was such a, a magic time to me. And I know to a lot of the guys that, and, and it feels like a million years ago now because everybody's moved on so far, but I think that was just, that was such a cool time for, for maybe not even the business as a whole, but definitely for the generation that is kind of in the business now for us. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, and, uh, you know, like you, you said, it was just a, a great time. Here you are reaching a pinnacle. You're, you think you're, you're on the edge of the superstardom as far as with the WWE, and then you suffer that, that first concussion. Did you know, uh, I think it was this early in 2014, uh, that it was a bad one uh, that, uh, you know, or, or was it no, so you know, the protocol says, I, I, no, you can't do this? And, and that, it was right kind of at the, in the initial phases of – 
WWE coming on board with the impact yeah. testing and, and society as a whole and all sports learning about concussions and what they are and what they're capable of. And I'd actually had, honestly, all I could chalk it up to is bad luck for, for a, about a year. I'd had <laughs> three diagnosed concussions um, in FCW and they were all just errant, like, you know, someone missed a kick and got me a little high or, you know, whatever it, it right. is. It's perils of the business, you know? Elbow, yeah. And so I, I yeah, I got, I got rocked th- three times and I never really saw anything of it. You know, I mean, some of them, they, they messed me up pretty good. I mean, I remember having to, you know, take a week off and, and lay on my couch in the dark for the better part of the, the week. But um, I wasn't really having any sort of effects that, that I noticed. And I was so just obsessed with, with work and making that final step to the main yeah. roster yeah. that I, I could have, you know, had half my leg cut off. And if nobody would have said anything to me, I would have tried <laughs> to power through somehow. You know, Get out there, yeah. That, you know, it was just the mentality. I mean, everyone shared yeah. that. That was, that was the goal. But uh, it was the day before WrestleMania 30, we were at Access. And this was still even relatively early in the, the Performance Center days, and NXT wasn't quite like – the, the, the major force that it is now where we could do takeover the night before we, we were still just doing access. And, um, I was put into a match that I wasn't actually even scheduled for mm. because they, they'd pulled somebody out, um, to go shoot something. So they said, okay, that's all right. We'll throw Graves in there and have a match with the, with this young guy. Mm. I, I think it, he may have had 20 matches under his belt, but whatever it was. And it got, got blasted in the back of the head. And I rolled outside of the ring to compose myself, and the ref came out and said, "Hey, man, you good?" I said, "Yeah, just give me a second. And I went to stand up, and my legs didn't work. No. And that was the first time I've I'd ever experienced that as a, you know from a concussion. Yeah. And so they stopped the match. I go in the back, talking to the doc. Doc checks me out. He's like, "Ah, I don't know how I, I, you're probably concussed." You know, we'll just take some time off. We'll figure it out. And I'm going, this is WrestleMania weekend, man. Are you kidding yeah, me? I'm not taking yeah. things off. I, give me an hour. I'm going to go take a nap and I'll be back. And that obviously didn't happen. And I, I got sent to, to, uh, to Tampa, to the University of Tampa, for an extensive series of tests, like um, stuff I'd never even heard of. And, and I, it not, by this point, I'd been out of the ring for a couple months. And I just kept remembering, I was talking to the doctors going, hey, shouldn't I be back by now? Like, you know, I feel good. I was rolling around in the ring again, mm-hmm. um, you know, just for cardio and whatnot. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what's happening. And then, uh, I was like, this is, this is bizarre. It shouldn't be taking this long. It's been months. Mm-hmm. And then I got the news that, uh, I was shut down indefinitely. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, God, I mean, the timing is just awful. Uh, oh, it couldn't have been worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so when it, when that final final comes, they're saying you're done, your, your career's, your wrestling career is over. Uh, what did you do? I mean, how did you handle that initially? And what options are you looking at? Well, I mean, the moment it happened, man, I I can honestly say probably to this day, the worst moment of my life. I remember all too vividly. I was pretty broken up got the official word. And I remember uh, Bill DeMott was the head coach at the time. And he said, Hey man, you need to take some time, you know, go ahead, just to go home for, for a week or two and then figure out what you want to do. And I said, coach, that is the last thing in the world that I need is time off. Yeah. <laughs> just the way I'm wired. The idle mind is a devil's playground. I, I am not good with free time. Yeah. So I think I went home for the weekend 
and I came back Monday and I remember it was really, really cool. Everybody that, that knew what I was going through. I remember telling, I can't remember who it was, but we were walking through the gym at the PC. They go, Hey man, you cleared yet? And I said, no, I'm done. And they laughed. They go, yeah, right. And I said, no, I'm, I'm serious. And then like words started to kind of permeate through, through the boys and girls. And, but, but everybody from, I remember Dusty, Dusty was invaluable to me. He goes, kid, until you figure out what you're doing, you're spending every day with me. Yeah. And I would sit yeah. in Dusty's office all day long, every day of the week. And sometimes we would have these incredible conversations about anything. Sometimes we would sit there and listen to country music and not do a damn thing. But yeah. I got to spend, you know, almost every day of, for a year with the dream. And yeah. I think honestly, that was probably the most valuable learning experience professionally that I've had, despite all my in-ring experience and all the cool things I did in the ring and, and around being a wrestler sitting with dusty for that long, man, I was just a sponge. I just soaked up and learned so much about this business. Well, how about just on the mental side? I mean, if you would have been sitting in Pittsburgh somewhere, you probably would have gone out of your mind. What did it do for oh, you no just to, with his counsel and everything else that went with it? It was, so I, I had basically been told that, you know, they weren't going to release me because it wasn't like I did something wrong or screwed up and it was just mm -hmm. bad circumstances. And the company kind of said, hey, we don't know what you're going to do, but we're not going to put you out on the street. Uh, but try, try whatever you want, basically. Here, here are the keys to the castle. Figure something uh -huh. out. Wow. So I jumped into everything. I started trying to learn about TV production. And, and I would sit in the, in the trucks or, and watch them do you know, TV or, or NXT and sitting with Chambers. I spent a lot of time with Chris Chambers just talking about ideas and creative things and and uh, the announcing thing was one of just many options that I was looking at. You know what I mean? And, and it wasn't, nothing was really? surefire. Yeah, you Everything weren't thinking, just, maybe I might be good at that. You never had any. No. Wow. It, well, so, so the night, the, the irony of the, the whole thing is the night after WrestleMania 30, or the night of WrestleMania 30, I'm sorry, mm. I went to this bar in New Orleans with some friends, and Michael Cole was there with one of his buddies. And we all just sat down and were BSing. And I, at this point, had no clue that this was it. I thought, yeah, I got my bell rung. I'll be back in a week. You know, no big yeah. deal. And Cole and I had started chatting. And I had mentioned to him that night that I had done a little bit of radio. And when I say a little bit, I mean literally a cup of coffee for about three months in Pittsburgh that sports mm -hmm. radio overnight. Uh -huh. And I didn't even think anything of it. Well, as I'm going through this new journey to figure out anything to do with my life, uh, Cole was actually the one that said, Hey man, I know you told me you'd, you'd done some radio in the past. I want mm -hmm. you to get in the booth and try out commentary. Mm -hmm. And I honestly wasn't particularly excited. <laughs> wasn't really, really that interested. Uh -huh. Um, but I went, Hey, if this is a way to keep food on my table, sure. I'll give it a shot. And wow. they have a commentary booth in the performance center. And I was in there every day for a couple hours calling matches with a guy, uh, Rich Brennan or Rich Bocchini is his name. He, uh -huh. he still does some commentary somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Rich, Rich and I would sit in there for hours and hours and just call the same matches over and over again. And then he would send tapes to, to Cole and mm -hmm. Cole would give him feedback. And it was just uh, amongst a million other things I was trying, you know, I was learning right. how to, to operate cameras. I mean, literally any aspect <laughs> of WWE, I at least looked at because I was like, I got to find something. I made yeah, it. Gotta, you know, that that, was, my, that was what yeah. my mentality was, was, yeah, I'm not going to be WWE champion, 
but I'm still in WWE. Like I, I made it to the pinnacle. <laughs> why, why give up now? Yeah. So when did you first get, did they start getting serious about giving you a shot at this? And, uh, were you thinking of this? Hey, you know, I might be able to do this. Did you get feedback? They're saying, we, you know, we really see something here. How did that all start to yeah, come about? Yeah. Cole would check in with me and, and, and Rich, you know, would, would help me out with this, that, and the other thing. And it, it didn't happen overnight. It wasn't like, uh, you know, I called matches for a week and I went, Oh, this guy's going to be a commentator. But <laughs> obviously I was, I was raw enough to where they felt like they could do something with me. Mm-hmm. And by this point, I, I want to say it was maybe around fall I'd been shut down. I want to say it's like the beginning of summer. And now this is maybe all summer long. I was just kind of grasping at straws. And then around fall, I think maybe it was when I had a conversation with Cole about um, maybe giving this a shot. Mm-hmm. And he, and now the whole time I had never officially formally retired. So I had to do that. And uh, at NXT takeover, our evolution, it was, which is, I want to say in, I don't know, maybe November ish. Mm-hmm. I'm terrible again with the time frames, but uh, and I, so I, I retired on the pre-show, and then called the main show. It was the night that uh, Kevin Owens debuted in NXT, and I believe Sami Zayn won the NXT title that night, and that was the first time I'd ever done commentary on an actual show. <laughs> wow, so. that's amazing, and, and you know. Yeah. Uh, you look back now, and, and really, people—you're like a natural. But uh, people understand those humble beginnings, especially when it's not something you've done before. But you have to think back too that um, so much of this is you're a performer, you're an entertainer, and uh, I don't know what it was like for you the first time, but you know you had been in front of cameras, you had cut promos. So when they say, "Okay, we need you to get up in front of a camera and hold a microphone and do something," uh, did it not seem that foreign to you? Did you kind of slide into no, it? No, because... it, it wasn't terribly uncomfortable. Yeah, um, but yeah. when I, after I'd sort of do an NXT commentary and getting a little comfortable down there, um, they had, had the idea to start shipping me up to the studio and mm-hmm. have me do some of the international shows. And, and so, you know, I, I'd never read a teleprompter before in my life. Mm-hmm. I had learned yeah. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But um, so just all that experience. And, and I was just, I was a sponge and I just wanted to get good at it even though that wasn't my chosen path, even if I didn't believe that that was what I was going to be doing forever, that was what I said, okay, this is what I have. I want to be the best at it right now. Mm-hmm. So it was, give me more, give me more. Hey, can you do? Yes. Give me that. I'll take that. And that was just kind of the mentality I had just till I got comfortable. And yeah. I think it was a, it was a combination of all those different experiences and different skills. I got to learn on the fly at once that kind of created this, this package or this monster, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Well, and at what point, because, uh, you know, when you initially do that, you're just trying to hit your marks. You're trying not to run into the furniture when you're out there. But what clearly what separates you from others is that you, you, you clearly at some point let go and said, all right, this is it. This is me. And I, whatever comes out uh, is uh, I'm just going to let it go. Uh, do you was that a gradual uh, advance for you or did uh, did you make a conscious decision to say, screw it, I'm just going to. You know, what was that progression like for you? Well, uh, when I first started doing the, it it was weird because I think it was all kind of part of my grieving process, Mm. honestly, like the, the trying the different things and learning these new things. It was kind of how I kept myself sane and sort of, I I never really dealt with 
not to go a little uh, armchair psychologist on you here, but I never, never really dealt with the fact that my life's work essentially was taken away from me. Like right before I quote, you know, right before I stepped through. Yeah, right there. Yeah, right um, where you were there for the. Yeah. yeah. So I just, I just in, invested myself in everything else. So I, I think that was kind of, it, it, it kind of helped just keep me occupied. And then it got to the point where I didn't, I, it was a, definitely gradual that I didn't really miss wrestling anymore. Mm. And I, I just kind of, accepted what I was doing and it still necessarily wasn't even, all right, I'm a commentator now. It was just kind of, wait, I, I love that thing. And I, I miss it so bad. Well, and I guess I don't miss it that bad. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I used to do that. And it just kind of evolved into to the role I'm at now. And I can honestly say, I mean, yes, every once in a blue moon, I'll go, man, I missed that. That, that looks fun, but it is so few and far between. I, I've just kind of really embraced doing what I do. And I think it's weird. I had this conversation with somebody not too long ago. My favorite thing about wrestling was being a heel, being disliked, getting heat, and losing. Because I could lay in the middle of the ring, and as soon as the ref counted three, I was done. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I got to just enjoy, like, oh, cool, we did it. Mm-hmm. And, and that, to me, that was like my instant gratification. So me being behind the camera, I think it's, it's kind of, psychologically, I, I'm not the focus anymore. I'm still in it. I'm still playing on the team. You know, I'm, I'm in the, in the game, but I'm not, no, nobody's focused on me. And I kind of get to, I think it helps me relax and, and kind of lets me just kind of, cause I think I'm a bit of a shy guy naturally, which is bizarre. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's kind of lended itself to, to me getting where I'm at. Well, what's interesting, though, you say that, that, uh, you know, you're, you may not be uh, on your back counting the lights, uh, but uh, at the same time, though, you are uh, you, you are getting the heat. You are the heel. You get to be all that, and uh, you just don't necessarily step in the ring. So does that uh, does that feed part of it, I guess, is the question. Sure. I, I, yeah. I think it's – I have more fun than anybody yeah. out there. <laughs> I mean, not every yeah, given night. It seems I like go it. out there and – yeah. I say outlandish stuff, knowing yeah. that it's outlandish, and hoping it'll rile somebody up. And then, and then, you know, the next match, I'll do something else. It's just three hours is a long time to do anything, oh. let alone try to just be a straight man and just call wrestling moves and this and anything. So I'm out there to me. I'm always been a big fan of stand-up comedy, mm-hmm. and not not that I would consider myself anything close to a comedian, but I love making people laugh yeah. and being ridiculous and making a fool of myself. I have no problem with that. And so, so I get to do all that sort of stuff behind the desk. And, and, you know, if you read Twitter, I'm, I, I'm bad at being a heel commentator, which is what I, I kind of like to reply. I'm not a heel commentator. I'm, I'm Matt, you know, with the volume cranked up. I'm, I'm a sarcastic guy. You know, I, I like to make fun of things and bust people's balls. That's what I do. But people have this, this antiquated idea that I have to be this way or that way. And, and when, the minute people start comparing me, I go, well, that's, of course I'm going to lose that one. I'm going to, admit, I'm going to, I'm going to resign. I'm not, I don't, you can't compare me to a Jesse or a Bobby. I'm not trying to be that. Right. It influenced me, but I have this opportunity to kind of make my own footprint and that's what I'm doing. And, and you know, and there's a lot of times that sometimes I just get bored and I'll say something stupid that doesn't matter to anything. And you'd have thought I, you know, ran in and, and ruined the main event. It's it's amazing the way you know people look at things, but I, I'm just kind of I'm having fun, man. Like I said, I I'm, I'm lucky. Well, and how has this whole social media world? Now that's that's another huge part of this because 
you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, we didn't have that. You didn't have that instant. I mean, you, you know, you talk about, you, you check your Twitter while you're live doing a, a pay-per-view. Uh, and, and you're good at it. I mean, you know how to, how to uh, you know, play those, the, that, those strings out there that get these people fired up. And that's what it's all about. But at the same time, how has it impacted professional wrestling? I mean, in a good way, in a bad way, or it's both? I would say for the good part of it is you now have an endless amount of time to engage the audience. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it, whether you decide to put out a, you know, maybe you don't get promo time as a talent. Maybe you don't get to be on TV this week. You could put something up on your Instagram and anybody that cares enough can find it. And there it is. And it's obviously not going to have the same reach as if you're, you know, on Monday night raw, but at least you can kind of, you can let the creative parts out and you can kind of, you know, make yourself more. Uh, the negative part, and I think it, it's beyond just wrestling. I think it's, it's like a societal thing with social media. Everything is so on demand that people are trained that they can do what they want and watch what they want when they want. Yeah. So now they expect everything that they want to watch to just be what they want. You know, like if you go watch a movie and you think, oh, this movie's going to be awesome, and the, the finish doesn't play out the way you wanted it to, does that make it a bad movie? It's like, no, you just, okay, that, I didn't love the movie. That's great. So there's a lot of other movies to watch. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing that, that I notice on social media is people have a perceived notion of what they want things to be. And if it's not what they want it to be, then they get mad. And then it just becomes this toxic environment of negativity. As opposed to, oh, man, uh, you know, that, that match was awesome, but I didn't like the finish. Now it's, oh, WWE doesn't know how to write. And the irony is the smart, the, you know, the smart fans, the ones that proudly pontificate on social media are the easiest ones to get riled up. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I get more, more hate from, from ones, the ones going, you don't know how to be a heel commentator. You take away from the match. You do this, that, and other thing. If that's your opinion, that's cool, man. But do you know what else? You're tweeting me. You're taking time out of your day to tell me how much you hate me. Yeah. So I win. <laughs> it's a reaction. That's what, it, that's what wrestling's always been about. You're not getting people to react and get out of the ring either way. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And, and yeah. I, I'm not doing this. I don't want people to go, oh, wow, it was such a great call. You added to the drop. No, I don't. Yeah. I, I want you pissed off. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And if I piss you off, then great. That's why I've had so much fun recently doing the Shane McMahon stuff <laughs> where he's the best in the world. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, look, Shane will be the first to admit to you. From a wrestling perspective, no, absolutely not true. But it's so fun because I get to be so absurd and over the top and just everything in the world that I never get to be. As far you know, oh yeah, I'm, I'm hanging out with Shane and I love Shane and, and the McMahons yeah. and just go team go because it's it's not who I am, but it's just yeah. fun. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah, like you must, you must just be thinking like, I, they're, they're buying this. They're like buying this. This guy is. Oh my God. Uh, and people get so pissed off. <laughs> and and I'm, I go, that's great. If you're pissed off, then that's awesome because that's the goal. That's what exactly. I want. So, but. Well, well, Corey, know. I think that we're going to look back. And, and as I mentioned at the top of our conversation, that you are really, you're part of a, a new generation. I think to look back and when they say, when did this all change? Uh, they're going to talk about how you you, you changed uh, professional wrestling as uh, announcers go. 
Corey, really, this has uh, been awesome. I love talking to you, and I mean it when I say uh, you really are setting a new standard, and it's it's great to see. It, it was time, it, it, and it's great to see. It, it, it's happening gradually, but uh, it, it's a new stage out there, and uh, love to see you on it, and you're just going to get better and better. Well, I appreciate it, man. I, I Honestly, I, like I said, I, it's hard for me to ever step back and look at, and realize now where I'm at, what I've what yeah. I'm doing and what I'm in the process of doing. So it, it always counts when, uh, you know, somebody says something nice. So I, I appreciate that very much. Pleasant change from my Twitter, um, <laughs> but, but Hey man, but thank you for the time. This was, this was great. I mean, I'd love to do it again. And, uh, you know, one of these days, if you're not too far out, maybe you mean Chambers can go grab a, uh, grab a cocktail. Yeah. I'd love to, uh, do another, uh, come back and do another warehouse. I think uh, the fans have been screaming for that, uh, for Rosenberg and I to go get lost in the warehouse again. Cause I, I have to tell you, your, your performance was tremendous, uh, <laughs> when he lost the, the list, uh, those, but I really, fun, that was man. fun. Those, yeah. those were a blast. Yeah. All right, man. Thank you so much. And, uh, I, I folks know how to follow you, but is, uh, if somebody wanted to get, can they, can they email you or is there a way they can get in touch? Uh, usually just, just uh, Twitter and Instagram are really the only yeah. things I use, and it's at WWE Graves. Um, yeah. If you have something super important and pressing, eventually I'm sure I'll probably find it. But uh, that's that's about it. I try to keep myself, you know, sane, so I try not to spend too much time there. <laughs> yeah, good for you. Go spend time with your kids, man. Thank you so much. I know right it's, uh, it's a day off for you, a few hours, and uh, go enjoy them. Uh, thank you so much. My for pleasure, man. Out. Thank you for your time. I have to tell you, man, I loved that conversation with Corey Graves. I mean, what an interesting individual. And I have had many encounters and conversations with Corey at this point. And it is amazes. It just amazes me that, you know, he generates all this heat out there with wrestling fans. Because really, when you talk to him, he's just a genuine dude. You know, I don't use that up there. I don't use the word dude. Often, but I mean, he's just this, really a genuine person. And he just says it like it is. Man, very candid. And it amazes me that he puts out things on Twitter or says something during one of the broadcasts and people go crazy out of their minds. And uh, you know what that means, folks? That means it's working. And always keep in mind, it's a work, as we say in the business. But bottom line, man, he is doing his job and he is doing it very well. Corey, keep after it, man. Keep doing what you're doing. And thank you so much for coming on Primetime. Uh, also, once again, I remind you, check out our Patreon membership. We just keep putting up brand new content up there all the time. And as I mentioned, we've made a bunch of changes. We'd love to have you become a Mooney or a Legion of Who member. But remember, you can also just get the podcast early and ad free at a great price. So check it out. Go to patreon.com slash primetime Mooney. Uh, once again, check out, listen to, uh, and listen to, uh, Upside of 40, my new podcast, Upside of 40 with Sean Mooney where we talk about uh, all things men of a certain age are concerned about. Uh, Every topic you can imagine, we get an expert on. And uh, we're building up a great library. We've got an awesome episode out this week on uh, your heart health. And that, believe me, that is uh, something you need to pay attention to, especially if you're over the age of 40. Uh, Check out Upside of 40. If you like what you're hearing, add it to your list of favorite podcasts and download it on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, The Vault episode, we'll have another one out this Saturday, and, of course, a brand-new episode of Primetime with Sean Mooney that will drop next Wednesday at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out. Mm